Happy 2023, Luca Nation. It's been forever since we've done this episode, which seems amazing because it's it's actually our favorite episode to do. It's we get to talk basketball, we get to argue, we get to disagree, and we get to share it all with you guys so that maybe if you listened to the previous episodes, you would have picked up Donovan Mitchell cards in November. And now you're sitting and he put up a 71. Point eight assist, ten rebound game. Is that right? 11, 11, re- 11. Uh, 11, um, 11 assists, eight rebounds. Yeah. Incredible performance. So much going on since we've last recorded. Jokic has been better than ever. Luca put up a 60 20 20 game, and then Donovan Mitchell with the greatest scoring performance since Kobe. That's since we last recorded the show. So Hold on. Bunch- Hold on. And LeBron. Giannis, Giannis put up back to back 40 20s. That's 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 in the conversation. It may not be Mitchell or Luca worthy, but it's in the conversation. Back to back 40-20s. So let's hit it where it hurts. Let's um let's start with this Giannis team because that's the conflict that you and I have the most. I am dr- very worried about this Bucks team. I- I'm very worried about this Bucks team because Chris Middleton has only played seven games all year. First he had a hand injury, now he has a knee injury. Cajun says, stop panicking, stop worrying. This is the Bucks team without their, their all-star. When they're back, all three superstars are playing and clicking. They're going to do big things. But now Giannis has knee issues, lingering knee pain. His game has plateaued. He's not getting better at shooting. And I always say it's on Coach Bud. The way he runs this offense is so primitive. It's this dribble handoff offense that doesn't benefit Giannis, doesn't get him any any easy buckets. It just gets him going downhill. They could build a wall, and it makes life very difficult for him. Are you at all worried about this Bucks team? Well, my first question is, who was coaching the Bucks when they won the title two years ago? Coach Bud. And has the offense changed? Bill Russell said this. Uh, has the day. offense changed? He said, that, let me just, he's like, I didn't even know we ran, that we won eight championships in a row. We did it one year at a time. So Let me ask I would you, be very cautious. Let's do cross-examination. I'm a lawyer, so I'm going to cross-examine you, which yep. means you're going to answer my leading questions. Okay. Did, did the offense change? The offense has not changed at all. When they won the title, was Chris Middleton healthy and playing? Chris Middleton was healthy and playing. When they won the title, was Drew Holiday healthy and playing? Drew Holiday was healthy and playing. He has Chris Middleton missed 29 games this season? Yes. Has Drew Holiday missed 10 games this season? I don't know how many mess. I think he has an illness, though. I don't think his is that intense. I wouldn't ask the question if I didn't know the answer. Yeah. The answer is yes. So let's not worry about the Bucks. Let's worry about Chris Middleton's knee and worry about Giannis's recurring knee issue. Let's just do that. Let's not worry about their offense because you haven't seen it, Andrew. You haven't seen their offense well, yet. It hasn't changed. I haven't seen it. You haven't. You haven't seen it. it hasn't, you just seen- said it hasn't changed. Well, you've seen you've seen the offense with you know Pat Connaughton and Grayson Allen playing the role of Chris Milton. That's not fair. That's like that's like that's like Jonathan Kaminga playing the role of Draymond Green, or that's like Karis LeVert, you know, filling in for an injured Donovan Mitchell. Who gives a shit? Who cares? Here, of course, here's, lose the, here's the challenge of hoping that 2021, when they won the title, is similar to this year. I think you and I have agreed that this is the best talent we've seen in the league in a long time. And now those guys that were in their first, second, and third year are now in their fourth, fifth, and sixth year. So the, the, the young guys have arrived. But what worries me is, yes, the health of the older guys is, is a question. 
but I just feel like Giannis's game has plateaued. You were talking about Clay's game. Clay hit a wall. I'm worried Giannis has hit a wall. But if but if his plateau is top five players in the world, that that we're, we got to be okay with that. We are the part that I'm not okay with is his shooting, and he can't shoot. Yeah, he, he, he couldn't shoot it then. He can't shoot it now. He's not going to get better at that. He's he's just not. I, I don't think he mechanically it's flawed. He shoots on the way down. He locks his knees out on free throws. Uh, his his release point is honestly rarely do you hear this. His release point is too high, um, and it's just there's a there's just a million things wrong with the way Giannis shoots a basketball. Uh, it doesn't help that it's a golf ball sitting in his hands. You know what I mean? Uh, but that ain't getting better, man. So I'm not worried about the Bucks. I'm not even really going to discuss it because, again, you can't you can't critique and analyze a team when they're missing people that are that important. You said it last night. You did the same thing. You're like, this Suns team is terrible. This Suns team has no chance. They're playing without Devin Booker. They're playing without one of the 10 best players in the league, arguably. Asian, what have I said? I didn't say that. I you said this team. You repeatedly say, I'm worried about these teams. I'm worried about these teams. They're this missing all-stars. Not just all-stars. First team all-NBA players. First team. So I'm worried about the Bucks because I believe Giannis, his shooting has plateaued, and Chris Middleton's health. And I think Coach Bud has a very simple and boring offense that's easy to stop. I'm worried about the Suns, not for any of those reasons. Yeah. I don't think I they believe, like each other. Do you? I don't, I don't think they like each other. I, I'm they, with you on that. Yeah. I can't believe the season that they had last year. And then what that one game that Luca put on them, game seven, how that – it fractured that entire team. It, it literally fractured that entire team. And I just think that they're teetering on the edge and there's going to yeah. be one spark and this team is going to implode. That won't be the last time Luca fractures the team. <laughs> You're starting he's a struggling. franchise. He's, he's, he's fractured a franchise, yeah. And then Sarver with his molestation and abuse allegations didn't help. So it's just – it's a franchise in turmoil. Uh, like I said, I'm not saying if Booker was there, then they become my favorites of the West. They don't. They're not. But, again, I'm not going to just beat them while they're down. If you're missing an all-NBA player, it changes a lot. It's, it's, it's very difficult to replace special players like that. And in the NBA, talent wins games. I mean, talent wins games. If you take Morant off the Grizzlies, they're going to lose. You know, well, they're probably a bad example because they somehow seem to win without Morant. But if you take Kevin Durant off the Nets, they may lose eight out of the next ten. If you take Embiid off the Sixers, they may lose twenty out of the next twenty. It, those guys are just that special and that talented and that important that you know teams that are missing players are going to suffer. It's just the way it is, man. When Jimmy Butler sits for the Heat, they can't win. And Jimmy Butler is like a you know a middling star now, you know, yeah. compared to these other guys we're talking about. You can't win games without players like that because so much of the offense is, fo- is focused around them. So so let's do this. Next five years, Booker, Booker's cards are 2015, right? So actually a really good time in the Panera era where there's not a ton of supply. Not a ton. You basically, ha- you basically have the prism, yeah. a few select cards, and then the NT. Yeah. Do you believe Do you believe in the in Booker? Do you, do you, would you be putting your money into his cards? No, I I, I mean, I wouldn't put my money into Booker cards because I think there's better places to put the money, but I wouldn't fault anybody for putting money into Booker cards. Does that make sense? Where, where would you, where do you think – give me three places that you think it's better to put the money than Booker. Okay, hold on. Let's, first, let's pull up the Booker Silver and just check it out because 
you know me, I like to run into burning buildings. <laughs> this is a burning building. So pop 199, Andrew, pop 199. That's not a lot to go around, right? And that's before they have 38 different parallels. There's a few parallels, right? There's It's not 2012 or 2013. There's some parallels out here, but silver mattered in 2015, really mattered. Uh, 1136, hmm. uh, you know, where would I put my money? Um, well, you're probably, I'm not the right person. Cage would be the right person to ask this question because he likes to look at moves and investments in the short term and even dabble in ultra modern stuff. And he'd probably throw out some quarterback that's, you know, just waiting for the injury in front of him. Uh, but, you know, my money, my money goes into Jordan stuff. Um, my money goes into, um, you know, 90s Hall of Fame players, high, high pack odds inserts. Um Right now, my money's going into 2014 Prism Soccer. Um, okay. Yeah. First year so, soccer. You know, that's, that's about as outside the box as I get, Andrew, to be quite honest with you. Is, uh, 2014 Prism Soccer, Prism World Cup Soccer, first year Prism, first year Prism World Cup. Um, no more Prism from 2014 until 2018. So that's kind of where my, you know, fun money has been going lately. So let me, let me, let me throw you, you know, maybe it's a fastball. It's a bit high of a fastball, but it's still a fastball. Uh, and by the way, shout out to Card Ladder. Uh, if you guys are using them on mobile, they recently added like a pop report feature. That uh, oh, they did it on desktop too. Changes the I mean, game. Game changes. It's it's if you if you're starting a business and you could save people's people time, they'll value you forever. This is such a time saver. Thank you guys for doing that. LeBron is averaging twenty nine on. 51% field goal percentage, eight rebounds, 6.6 .6 assists, and he looks like a man on the mission the last two games, over 40 points. Why have we sold off of LeBron so much? Would you be buying, and what do you think his legacy is like from a card perspective? Should and am. Yeah, I mean, I am, and I'm not. I'm, I'm never, you're never going to, you're never going to trap me. I know you're trying to trap me into telling people to buy something, but I'm not. I'm buying, I bought LeBron. I'm buying LeBron. I'm confident in the LeBron cards in the long term. Certain cards. Um, and, and what's funny, Andrew, is the, the LeBron cards, and I did buy into a big black refractor LeBron, um, you know, about maybe three months ago, I think, if I had to guess. Uh, but that's the only LeBron rookie I've bought in the last probably year, year, year and a half. Um, I've been buying into non rookie card color prisms in PSA 10. So 2013 color PSA 10, 2014 color, uh, non rookie finest refractor color PSA 10s, um, tops chrome non rookie colored or silver PSA 10s, uh, stuff like that. And, and are you doing that because you saw what they were at the peak and how much they've come down? And you're like, this is still cards that are high grade, numbered, very, very rare. They're down 80, 70, 80% from the peak. No, I'm kind of doing it. I, I basically, everything that I do in the hobby, I learned from collecting 90s cards where, um, you know, in the 90s, the most valuable cards of these, you know, all time greats, these pantheons, the, the Dominique Wilkins. I shouldn't use it, but like Ewing, Olajuwon, Jordan, Kobe, Shaq, their most valuable cards aren't always the rookie cards. And the ultra modern collector and everybody who you know, flooded into the hobby in the year 2019, 20, and 21 is rookie card hyper-focused. And I don't, 
think that will last forever. And I think at some time, at some point, the the people we've had our attrition and the people that have come in just for the money have disappeared. But some of those people stay. I, I, I believe a good chunk of those people have stayed. And uh, I think as those people get more and more educated um, and we're seeing it on Instagram, when people post pictures, they're starting to realize that some of the best, some of the rarest, some of the most sought after cards for even modern players like a LeBron and a Durant and a Steph Curry don't necessarily have to have a rookie shield on them. You know, I mean, I'm collecting LeBron cards that predated the rookie shield, obviously. So, um, you know, I like picking up stuff like that uh, because it's fun and you can buy more and have more often mail days more often. You know what I mean? So if you guys haven't checked this out, this video is going absolutely nuts on our channel. It's the PWCC weekly recap. Kasia does it every week. It's an NBA focus, but one of those cards that that is that is the 2004 Fleer Hot Hands LeBron. Yeah, non rookie. That there's like eight of them graded or something like that. What it go for? I don't remember the number, but it was it was mid to high four figures. It was a exactly. legitimate. That's a card. That's a legit card. Like that's more fun to me. I would rather that card than a Topps Chrome rookie BGS 9.5 pop fill in the blank. Yeah, you know what I mean. That makes sense. Um, I mean, we're talking about cards that are pop, you know, 10 and below, you know, in the highest grade. I mean, we're talking about, you know, rare pieces. And that's that's my perspective because I've spent so much time in the 90s Jordan card collecting world. I've spent so much time in that world that it's kind of warped my thinking. And so, again, you know, you, you hear the phrase, you try to zig while other people are zagging or vice versa or whatever you want to call it. So I'm kind of looking at what people aren't buying right now. And for whatever reason, LeBron prices are going down. I mean, we know that the Kareem record is inevitable. Um, we also know the Lakers not being relevant is inevitable. And I think people are having trouble reconciling that. The hobby yep. is short-sighted. They, they want win now, win now. Well, guess what? He might be done winning. He, he might, you have to be okay with that. He might be done winning, but damn, look at the resume, man. Look at the freaking resume. You know, he's done enough to be number two. If he has another gear, they're four or five games out of like fifth place or fourth place, which is crazy to think about. But like you're seeing him put up 40 points. The question isn't intensity, it's consistency right now. And for how many games can he carry this team on his back and maybe hopefully wait for AD? They're four or five games out of the playoffs. They're four or five games out of four or five seed. I think AD's done. Uh, nobody's saying anything. I, nobody's saying anything about it. I think it's a one-month reevaluation. Oh, it's something we can't fix. Surgery out for season. That that's a that I don't I, you know I haven't talked to uh, you know Brian Windhorst or anything. I'm just saying that's just that's the vibe that I get. It's very strange that you know. Do we know what his injury is? It says Anthony. You are 100 percent right. Anthony Davis injury could lead to six, seven, eight months out. Says Lakers star. This is an article one day ago by Jason Reed. This is the Lake Show life. Uh, that, that yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just when there's this much mystery about it, I, you know, we've learned our lesson from Kawhi. It's like we don't even know what's wrong. And he disappears for a year with Zion. We don't even know what the hell's going on. He's gone for a year. You know, he's supposed to be back, you know, 10 games into the season. He missed the whole season. You know, it's like when it's this big of a mystery and they don't just identify, just tell us what the hell is wrong exactly. Usually there's more to the story that they're not sharing, you know. A little peek under the under the hood here of how Luka Nation is, and I'd love to get a little cage match of Cajun and Cajun. But they're – so obviously Cajun always says, you know, I'm like you in some ways and I'm like Cajun in a lot of ways. That's why this felt like a great fit. 
Yeah. Cage is a staunch rookie guy. He loves, loves, loves true rookies. That's why he loves Montana. He loves Rice. He yeah. loves that that the player who has one true rookie card. Cajun's out here playing with the inserts. And I would love to have like kind of like I moderate or someone from our Luca Nation moderates and a little bit of a debate as to pros and cons for both. Yeah. It would be uh it would be fun. It would be fun. And and I'll be honest with you, I started you know, I'm, I think I'm three years older than Cage, but so we grew up in the same era where, and it's true in the eighties, I mean, in baseball collecting, which is how we came into the hobby, you bought the rookie or is the only thing that you wanted. All you wanted was the rookie. Nobody wanted a 1979 Eddie Murray. You wanted the 1978 Topps Cuppy. You didn't want the 1981 ugly blue Ricky Henderson. Yeah, you wanted the 1980 Topps Ricky Henderson, you know, where he was in his batting stance. You know, you didn't want to chase the second year Boggs. It was a fraction. It was pennies compared to the rookie card. So you want the rookie card. And that's the way most people do come into the hobby. But, you know, the 90s, the introduction of inserts and parallels is what changed that uh, in the early 90s. It changed the game, man. And uh, and I know that not everybody swims in the same pond as, as, as me and some of my friends uh, collecting 90 stuff. And I'm not just talking about basketball. And I'm not just talking about high end. I'm just talking about buying inserts and parallels and serial number cards from the 90s in football, baseball, basketball, hockey. Um, it's just really fun, man. You, you see cards you just don't see every day. Um, and that's kind of what, you know, that's what gets you likes. And that's what gets conversations started on Instagram and Facebook and, uh, and cards. Finding noting. them in a high grade is, is nearly impossible too. It, is, the, it is. That's like the, that's the gold rush. So I have three topics for today, but I kind of hijacked the first 15 minutes here. You know, we haven't talked in a few weeks. We we're both why we do this show, Luca Nation, we just love basketball. And we're like, let's do this once a week. We loved, we love talking about it. We're in our text group arguing. Anything occasion that's you kind of want to get off your chest, you're seeing that might add value to our Luca Nation listeners. Yeah. Uh I mean, let's let's finish out our what we started with, which is we're seeing some of the greatest stat lines in NBA history. And I guess everybody, you know. Everybody's really good at identifying things that are happening, but nobody's asking the question, why are these things happening? Why, why you know, Luca and Mitchell, uh, and look, I'll just, I'll, let me pull this up. So yeah. I've pulled up uh, this article, the best NBA stat lines of the last decade. Uh, they got Harden number one. one. The best NBA stat lines of the last decade. They got Harden number one. This is just one article, so this is not like a, the Bible. 60 points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists, 4 steals, 63% shooting. Doncic and Mitchell just surpassed him. It, two times in seven days, we saw the two, I think, the two best stat lines of the last decade. 100%. Is that That's not normal. Like, that's too much of a coincidence. Everybody's dropping 40. I mean, Devin Mitchell had 78, 6, 3 steals on 50%. Mitchell that was blew a joke. that out of the water. That was a joke. If you guys watched the Booker game, it was most of the points came at the end of a game, which was a blowout. It, I mean – 59 and 20 and for Anthony Davis in 2016. That's a that's a big ass game. But Doncic just did it and he's a guard. You know, and oh, and by the way, he added, you know, what is that? 10 assists, 11 assists, whatever. Um, you know, so we're we're seeing unprecedented historic statistical performances. And I'll throw Jokic and Giannis in there because while they haven't had a 60 or a 70, they're doing it in the points, rebounds, field goal percentage, you know, all across the board type stuff. Uh, the question is, why is that happening? What's what's changed between this year and the last two years? What's different? And I don't I don't know the answer. It's not they're playing less defense, right? 
And, and here's the other thing. There's more parity now than there has been in any of the prior two or three years. So it's not that. The game hasn't really changed that much over the last two years. I mean, I know it changed drastically, you know, from 10 years ago with the, the, the you know, the evolution of the volume three point offenses in the pacing space. But what changed this year to make all of these games happen? I mean, Embiid's had 50 twice. Giannis has had 40-20 twice. Jokic has had 40-15-15. Doncic and Mitchell, we know what they just did. What, what is going on? Why is this happening? I mean, we're seeing random guys drop 50, 40. Are, are, you, are you asking me? I'm asking. I'm asking everybody. I want to just hear what people's theories are um, because, you know, the average – I think this is, this is my take on it. The balance between offense and defense – the, the modern-day NBA player is so much more skilled that the defense can't possibly catch up the way the rules are, the, the rules that are in place. Now, I mean, one rule change that might matter some, it's not going to answer the question, but that take foul, right? Players used to grab people, kill a fast break, kill the transition, take side out, right? Well, that's now usually two points, but maybe there's two or three of those a game. You know, that would lead to teams scoring five or six more points a game, which we're seeing, you know, teams are scoring more. Uh, but I don't think that's, that's you know, had any impact on. Uh, what Cajun's saying is they got rid of the, the take foul this year. You know, they got rid of the take foul this year. So you can't they do get rid of the take foul. Yeah. The, the, uh, the one thing I will say is with the proliferation of the three-point shot, it has allowed smaller people or per, I shouldn't say smaller, perimeter-oriented people to gather more rebounds. Does that make sense? It's also allowed perimeter people to and bigs to there's just more assists to be had because there's more open threes being taken. Um, so it's easier to get assists. It's easier to get rebounds. That's something to keep in mind when you're comparing, you know, stat lines from the 90s and early 2000s to stat lines today. It's much easier to get rebounds and assists, much easier. We talk about points all the time, how, you know, the defense is, is basically handcuffed. The refs call everything. You can't put hands on people. You can't impede progress. The offensive player dives his ass into the defender, initiates the contact, and the offensive player gets the call. Um, you know, in the 90s, this is very different. So it, it was just easier yeah. in the 90s and early 2000s uh, to, to guard a perimeter player than it is today. It's almost impossible. We see the best defenders in the league really are helpless in one-on-one -on -one situations against the best offensive players in the league. You know, the Matisse Tybels, uh, the the – uh, the Drew, even even Drew Holiday. Now they let some of those guys get away with a little more handsiness than others, right. you know. Um, but stats are easier. No, and I love that. Okay, so let, let's break this down. So you need you need the 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 physicality, the athleticism to be able to actually be fit enough to play for forty minutes and take all those shots because it actually does take a toll on the body. Hell yeah! But for me, what I noticed is a reluctance to send a double. So, like, if you watch Luca yeah. in New York when he put up 60, Thibodeau didn't throw a double at him all game. And in the 80s and 90s, I mean, Jordan was always doubled, but, like, in the 80s and 90s, they would, they would say, no, like, this guy's hot. We're going to throw a double and let someone else beat us. I think how we've talked about this all year, how the, the second, third, fourth superstar of the team is so good, it really wasn't like that back then. So you could throw a, a double at Jordan. You could throw a double at Barkley. And the guy he's passing to probably doesn't have the offensive skill set of 
even an Evan Mobley today, a Kevin Love today. So if you – or even a Spencer Dimwitty, well, right? Or Tim here's the, other, here's the difference, though, Andrew. Jordan what? and them were playing – they were playing the triangle offense. That ball was moving. That yep. wasn't case in space, high pick and roll, ad nauseum. It was a whole different deal. And so that – and that was not an accident. Tex Winter knew what he was doing. Um, he, he knew how Jordan would be defended if they played a conventional offense. And so that's why they went through that rough patch and instituted that triangle offense and then perfected it. And that's why they're the, I think they're the greatest team ever assembled. Uh, both ends. Um, yeah, man, it, it's fascinating. Like, why would you not, Andrew, if fill in the blank coach, why would you not in a regular season game, just experiment. I, I just want you to, to run a double team at Luka Doncic as soon as he crosses half court Every single possession of the game. I want to see Christian Wood and Spencer Dinwiddie score 70. I think because of the NBA season, how long it is and how much downtime, they don't have time to practice that. And if it's not executed properly, they're just going to get cooked. That, that's probably the, what, what you – if you ask a coach, they would say. Because when do you get to practice – because it's not just the double. It's how do the other guys – the other three guys – Yeah, it's help and recover. I, I get it. Um, it just seems like they're making it awfully easy. And I get it. He's, he's a brilliant ball handler, an amazing passer, and everybody's screaming at the, the this this pod right now saying, you're an idiot. He's a great passer. He's just going to throw it into the corner to Dorian Finney-Smith. He's going to sh- – okay, fine. Wouldn't you rather that than Luka Doncic have somebody on his hip coming off a screen and roll and getting two feet in the paint? I would rather Dorian Finney-Smith – take 60 open three-point shots from the corner than just let Luka Doncic do whatever the hell he wants to do, which is what he's doing right now. I don't understand it. I'm with you. I, I don't understand that. I don't get it. Why didn't they double Kobe when he had 81? Poor Jalen Rose. I think it probably has something to do with how much this benefits the league. This is good for the league. Like yeah, the, this is coach doesn't give a shit about the league. The opposing coach doesn't. It's not like, well, we're getting our ass handed to us. We just lost this game in overtime. I agree. But it's with that. the league. Don't tell Captain Coma over that. He doesn't care about that. Thibodeau doesn't care about that. Leave your guys' comments. Why do you think you're seeing these performances? I mean, 60, 20, and 20, 71, 8, and 11. Uh, yeah. I mean, th- those are the cream of the crop, but there's like 50 and 40 point scores all the time. So tons, it's tons of 40s. Tons of 40s from a broad array of players. And I, I think it's rules. I think it's, you know, the take the take fouls just a a you know consequence. I think it's the way you're you're not allowed to steer your your offensive player with your hands at all. You're you're literally in a blender, you know, trying to guard these guys and the skill set of these guys, and I and I you know me, man, I'm a Jordan, I'm a 90s guy. Like if you go watch Dominique Wilkins or Clyde Drexler play basketball and, and we'll say those guys and you could throw Reggie Miller in there, you know, those are three of the 10 best, you know, perimeter players, I guess, of, uh, you know, the 1990s. They aren't even remotely in the same category from a skill standpoint as the guys that are playing basketball today. What about Jordan? So competitive Jordan's drive different. aside. Do you think Jordan has a better skill set than Donovan Mitchell today? Competitive drive aside. It, it all depends on how you define skill set. The reason Jordan doesn't have, you know, reverse between the legs, step back into a three type stuff, he never had to. Jordan could always take one dribble to his right, elevate and shoot over anybody his size ever. Every single time over and over and over. 
the other thing about skill set is I consider being able to post up a skill. Yes. Right. And that's something Jordan developed and became the best post player in the NBA. And I'm including Akeem Olajuwon. Jordan was the best post player in the NBA ever that I've ever seen personally. And you can talk about Kevin McHale. You can talk about Olajuwon. Yes, you can talk about whoever the hell you want. Michael Jordan in the post was it was over. It was a wrap. Um, so that's part of skills for me. And shooting a basketball is a skill. And so if you're if you're asking me, could Jordan step out and shoot threes with Donovan Mitchell? Probably not, because Donovan Mitchell's probably taken seven million more practice three pointers in his life just in shoot arounds and games and you know off seasons than Jordan. But if you said, you know, shoot a 19 footer, I think Jordan would make more 19 footers, you know, than Donovan Mitchell, especially on jump shots. It's it's sort of an interesting question because really the, people look at Jordan's greatness as his dunks and his shooting, but he put up 59 points and then he defended as hard as anybody for the entire game. And he played 82 yep. games every year. So yeah, everything. There's all Andrew, these other. Andrew, here's another example. Like is Kevin Porter more skilled than John Stockton? Is he a better ball handler? Hell yes. It's not even close. But does does that make him a better player than John Stockton? Probably not. You know what I mean? So it's it's weird, you know, because you're comparing era. You know, it's like freaking, uh, you know, Willie Hernan Gomez might be more skilled than Wilt Chamberlain. But but who you who do you want? You know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, man, I don't know. A skill, you the know, skill, of the game I'm just saying the ability to create open shots. When I say skilled players of the ultra modern era, the ability to create open shots. <laughs> is significantly greater for the average player and the and the average superstar today than it was in the 90s and early 2000s. So another topic, Cajun, occasion and I had, and we got into a huge text argument. He owes me a, a lot of money, and I'm not going to send anyone to collect here. But it's a lot. I, I'm a believer that sometimes in the NBA, losing your superstar is a blessing in disguise. And I said that when Curry went out for the Warriors. I believe that this team now can sort of – the role players could find their spots. Yeah. I actually thought that they would be a 500 team without Curry. Little did I know that they're going to be above a 500 team. Six and three since Curry went out. And what you love to see about that is these guys like Ty Jerome, Dante DiVincenzo, Moses Moody, Kaminga, uh, step up in different ways. And come on, Looney with a game winner. Shout out, come on. Uh, Tim, come on, Duncan. Occasion. <laughs> uh, I believe that that's a it's a benefit to the team because what happens is they go from role players to now you're counted on. And there are players and people in life that do better with responsibility on their shoulders, right? When there's no responsibility, oftentimes they're like, hey, we're just showing up, but today it's, it's Curry's day. He's going to put up 50 and he's going to carry us. Now they have to come, come as a team, come together as a team and really work on the system, work on team defense and, and win games together. Any thoughts on that initial argument and where we are now? Six and three Warriors since our bet. Yeah, I need to verify six and three, and it's not six and four. Just I to promise you. I promise. Okay. I wouldn't lie. Uh, yeah. Right hand to God. Yeah, yeah. My response is just sample size. Let's just relax. Yeah. Uh, Name the last team to win an NBA title without their best player. I didn't say they're going to win a title without Curry. Well, I, I know. Said, this I'm is just saying. Well, that's, that's what this is about. Well, it's about winning your bet, but, I mean, that's what this is about is, like, Every team wants their best player. Every team wants they their, want best, their player. best player healthy when it counts, but they want the role players clicking. And the only way to they get do. the role players clicking is to give them those extra minutes. But can there be gonna... a benefit? I admit there can be a benefit to missing one of your 
key players. If, for instance, the Bucks, the team that I follow the most, right? Middleton being with them and getting that chemistry right is most important, and that would be optimal. But if he is out, there are some slightly uh, there are some slight benefits to that. Ingles developing and starting to become part of the team. Grayson Allen having to do a little bit more. Uh, you know, Connaughton having to do a little bit more. Bobby Portis is being relied on to score the ball a little bit more. Javon Carter is stepping up. So there are benefits, but I think if you ask Coach Bud, you know, you want Middleton back? I don't think he's going to say, no, let's give him another 30 games off so Grayson Allen can, you know, polish his game and, you know, start to become a bigger part of the team. I don't think that's the plan, especially since when you get to playoffs, it becomes, for most teams, an eight-man rotation. They need to fire Coach Bud and bring in a Tex winner in Phil Jackson. That's they need to fire two-time coach of the year uh, yes. NBA title. And bring in a guy who understands offense. Warriors are 17 and 2 at home and 3 and 16 on the road. I've never so before seen that. we get before we get carried away with Andrews, they're on a homestand where they're winning these games. Yeah. Five in a row. You you're you're in the lead. It started off looking really good at one and three, and I was gonna really send you a big bold text. I told you so at the end of it. And Maybe some confetti. You know, I can you can say congratulations, and then your text shows up with confetti, uh, and then maybe drive down to Florida and get my fifty dollars. You know, personally, Collect. and let you hand it to me. Make sure you yep. feel it. Spend five hundred on gas to get your fifty. Smart. It's a good investor. This is who you guys are listening to for your yeah. investment. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Who wins the West? How about this? This is my take. The Nuggets win the West. I, I put this in the group, and Alex didn't agree, but. I don't think that they're that deep of a team. So, like, I mean, Aaron Gordon has taken a huge step up this team. I'm worried about their backup center. I think DeAndre Jordan is is terrible. Bones Highland is someone I love watching play, but he's very streaky and inconsistent. And he's one of those guys that I think thrives more when he gets, you know, 20 shots a game on 30 minutes. Then if he gets 10 on 15, he needs to get that engine going. Yeah. Uh, did you ever hear his story in high school? Yeah. Yeah. I watched him on Old Man in the Three. I watched oh, him on Reddick. Yeah. Cool. Uh, he, he had to jump out of the window. His grandma, there was like a fire and he like broke bone. Crazy. Insane story. Um, I, I could see th their game against the Celtics was the hottest shooting I have ever seen in my entire life. They would yeah. not miss uh, and then there was like a 25, 40-minute delay or something because Robert Williams broke the rim. Who wins the West? Here you go. You may put it up here. Let me put it up for our, for our viewers. This is where we're at right now. Denver's in first. Um, and then uh, you got the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, the Mavericks, the Kings, the Clippers, the Trailblazers, the Suns. And the, well, we can stop it. I don't think the Trailblazers, the Warriors, the Suns, the Jazz can do it. So, uh, you know. I mean, all those teams are within four. God dang. The Warriors are in ninth, and they're four and a half out of first. Mm -hmm. You know? It's crazy. The parity is crazy. The King, Kings are going to regress. The issue with the Kings, I watched them play the Grizzlies. You think so? You're, when your best – when your center is also kind of like a scoring guy, like Sabonis, and he has to go and battle for rebounds with Steven Adams, it's a, it's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. And Why? they have nobody helping him rebound. Well, because well, that's what Embiid's doing. What do you mean? Is way bigger than Sabonis. Well, I, well, I guess I we're talking about Sabonis is huge. Well, that's what all centers do. They battle other centers for rebounds. What are you talking about? Don't not, slice Sabonis. Not necessarily. Like, I was thinking about this. Like, why is Josh Hart so revered? It's because if 
Nurk boxes out, Josh is going to come in and grab rebounds, right? It's yeah. rebounding is a team game. It's not just one guy grabbing rebounds. I don't rebounds win. Rebounds matter, and the Kings don't rebound well. Yeah, he Josh Hart's the second best rebounding guard in the yeah. uh, in the Western Conference behind, of course, Luka Doncic. It, um, rebounding is a big deal because you could shoot a way better percentage, but if the team gets 15 more shots a game because you can't rebound on the defensive end, you're not going to win games. Offensive, not rebounding, offensive yeah. rebounding, especially. Yeah. And, and it cuts both ways because if you can't defensive rebound, that means the other team is getting offensive rebounds, right? So rebounding is rebounding uh, either way you slice it. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, I think the nuggets. And, so and actually, an all-star this year, though. You know, this like, fantastic. Yeah. He's, he's, I mean, he's not going to be selected as the starter, uh, but stat-wise uh, in the West, you know, they don't do center, so it's not like him versus Jokic. They do two two uh, backcourt and three frontcourt. Um, statistically, Sabonis is right there with LeBron as to who statistically should be that frontcourt starter. Obviously, Jokic is, uh, you know, unquestionably a starter. Um, so you got Zion, LeBron, Sabonis, um, you know, Paul George. Oh, actually, Paul George, I think, is included in the backcourt, even though he's 6'10". Um, you know, it's tough. It's going to be interesting, man. Uh, it's be I interesting. agree with you on the Nuggets. And I was actually had this point here. Like, I'm in, we're in awe of Luka, but I'm in awe of Jokic. And I'm surprised there haven't been these comparisons made because it's what I remember in early 2000s when LeBron was coming up, he wasn't revered for his scoring. He was actually revered as an amazing passer. Do you remember yeah. this? Passer Where, and dunker. Yeah. Passer and dunker. And I think Jokic doesn't get enough credit, not for his assist or for how he passes. Yeah. The way he – like he, he's able to thread the needle so many times, whether that's just slightly over the top or a bounce pass, uh, that gets his team such easy looks. I've never seen a passer like him, man. Like when, if I, would, I would say Luka's best skill is obviously scoring, and he's a great passer. Yeah. I think Jokic's best skill is passing, and he could score. So I, I, I agree with you. I think the Snuggest team has really taken a step up. I'm just a little worried about their depth, uh, especially as like a backup center having DeAndre Jordan. I don't know how 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 many minutes you could really give that guy. Who? DeAndre. Oh, DeAndre Jordan. Jordan. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm thinking DeAndre Ayton. You're saying DeAndre Jordan. Well, here's the deal. Uh, I think Jokic is the greatest passing big man of all time. Some real old heads might say Bill Walton, Bill Walton, but he didn't do it long enough. So I'm going to say Jokic is the best passing big man of all time. And it's time to start having a conversation as whether he belongs in the greatest passers of all time, period. Um, sure. You know, he is you – usually you don't think of big men when you start talking about some of the greatest basketball IQs of all time. Um, you know, if you go back through history and you start talking about the big men that dominated, you talk about Wilt, you know, you talk about Bill Russell, you talk about Kareem, you talk about Shaq, you talk about Olajuwon, Ewing, uh, David Robinson – and no, Dwight Howard, at no point do you think off the charts, brilliant, you know, Magic Johnson type IQ, you know, or in a, and I'm talking about on court IQ because Magic off court IQ doesn't strike me as real high. Uh, but <laughs> Jokic, Jokic, I put him in the category with the basketball IQs of a, of a Jordan, of a LeBron, of a uh, Doncic. Um, I think Magic's a great comp. I, I, I didn't even think that. Just, dude, he, with, he cannot get from A to B very fast, but he still dictates an entire game. He dictates the whole game um, with the ball in his hands, you know, oftentimes at the high post. Uh, he's always one dribble uh, because I think what people don't realize is yeah, 
it's either him or Embiid. He might be the heaviest player in the NBA. I think on NBA.com, he's listed as, I think, 284, and I think Embiid's like 282. Now, I don't know how up-to-date and accurate right. that is, but people forget Jokic is not just a, a seven-footer. He's one of the biggest seven-footers in the world. Like He's Ask one Marquise of the biggest basketball players in the NBA, and that matters, right, because you're not moving him. Uh, he, he's very sturdy, despite the fact that he doesn't look very muscular. He's very sturdy. Uh, and Doncic is the same way, right? Kind of shaped the same sloppy way, but big-ass dudes, man. Doncic is about 242. I think about it this way. So, like, people don't understand it from a football analysis. You look at a quarterback, you're like, okay, this guy has arm strength. He has accuracy. Got it. There's, but there's that select few. I think Burrow has this. That could move the defense slightly with their eyes, with their ball fake, with right, yes. just slightly enough to open up those lanes. Yeah. That subtleness when he gets the ball at the top of the key and how he moves the defense and is able to create passing lanes for his guys, not only just to make the pass, but make the, the finish for that guy easy. Yeah, right? you're, like, you're basically describing Kirk Cousins. Like you told me the other day in the text that you think Kirk Cousins that's is not probably right. the most that's not right. That you think you, – you sent the text. I can show it that you said you think Kirk Cousins is the most underrated quarterback in the NFL. And I tend to agree with you. I think he is. Just go look at the numbers. I'm <laughs> you disgusted. didn't see that one coming. You didn't I did see that not. one coming. I, I despise Kirk Cousins as a football player so much. I, I, I can't. I've got, I just got nauseous thinking about him. Who's your favorite team in the NBA, Andrew? I was actually going to do this, uh, an Instagram story or like an Instagram post. I wanted to hear who's everyone's favorite team to watch play. No. Uh, who do you want to win? Who do you want to win every, every regular season game? Every, you don't have one. You've got to get one. We need to take a poll and let the people vote and, and direct you to, to like a certain team. You need to, you need to give this some thought because it's, it, it alters the way. And I know you like to be objective, but, uh, and you're really good at that, by the way, trying to trying to be objective about just different topics on the show and when you and Cage do stuff. And I like that. That's part of what makes you special. But, like, you need a team, man. You need a team with a rooting interest because it does make the NBA more fun. I, I've always struggled. I've never been that guy. So, like, even with the Lakers, I didn't yeah. like the Lakers. I liked Kobe. Yeah. Uh, with the Sixers, I don't like yeah. the Sixers. I don't love how they play, but I love my city. If yeah. I could – my answer is I love good matchups. Like the Celtics yeah. versus the Warriors last year, that was a fun matchup of styles. That, that's part of my my hesitation with the Bucks. Like but I you didn't want either team to win. You you didn't have a team that you wanted to win. You just wanted I've, to see Curry and Tatum go at it, or or you know yeah. something like, yeah. And, and I think that is a characteristic of the younger generations, right? We're we're different generations, in and it's it's the same as card collecting, right? We can we can you know. <laughs> transition this over into card collecting is that when I came into this, I was, I was in the early 1980s and I was trying to collect all of the Cincinnati Reds cards. I could, cause I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, you know, right next to Cincinnati was our closest major league baseball team. So I wanted all the Cincinnati Reds cards. Whereas, you know, now uh, the average 12 year old is trying to collect all of the Steph Curry cards or all of the, you know, Damian Lillard cards or all of the Giannis cards. It's, it's just, it's very different. And so people build PCs, uh, not team collections. And that's, I think, why um, set collecting, which used to be so damn popular, especially amongst vintage baseball collectors and football collectors and vintage guys, set collecting was a big deal. People are like, well, nobody set collects anymore. No, they do. It's just it's it's 
It's player it's rainbow system. chasing. That, that is set collecting. That in and of That's itself a is a point. set. You are collecting a set in a particular player. It's the exact same gene and the same drive and the same need for closure and the same same anxiety in wanting to show and display something to people and say, I did it start to finish. It's the same thing. It's just uh, it's on player a different specific platform. Instead a different team specific. Yeah, it's just not team specific. If you guys are like me whose mind's blown, I didn't know Louisville was that close to Cincinnati. Hmm. It's our closest Major League Baseball team. That's why you guys love your uh, Louisville uh, University. You know, what, what are they? The Cardinals? Yeah, D Donovan Mitchell went there, right? Donovan Mitchell went there, yeah. You know that Dame Lee transferred there? So Dame Lee went to Drexel and then he transferred to Louisville for a year. And then he moved that to the springboard yeah. to the NBA. Huh. As I think it was, I think it was either his senior year or graduate year. Yeah. One more topic. Okay. You know how I, I don't know how you pronounce the GM of the Toronto Raptors. You know how to say his name? It's He got um executive of the year, but actually mm -hmm. he should get the worst executive of the last two years with his idea that the Raptors can play without a center. If you look at the Raptors center of the last two years. I don't even know who these guys are. These aren't even real players. It's Coloco and kind of Boucher, but he weighs like 110 pounds soaking wet. And he shoots threes. He shoots threes, yeah. And and this idea that Siakam can play center, this this Toronto Raptors team is a good team. They're just poorly built. I don't understand why they they don't have a center who could give them 15 points a game, 12 points a game. I think DeAndre Ayton on this team would be a really interesting fit. Yeah, that's a great Great observation. DeAndre Ayton to the Raptors, even if it means uh, some kind of package deal where Siakam goes the other way. Problem is, who are the Suns going to have as their center? I, I understand. It's hard to trade a DeAndre Ayton and get nothing back because basically you're sinking your team. You know, we'd be saying the same things about the Suns that we're saying about the Raptors. They, you're right. They don't even have, like most teams, they may not have an Embiid, a Jokic, an Ayton, a Carl Towns, a Gobert. They may not have, uh, you know, uh, but they've at least got a Pirtle or Steven Adams or Valanchunas or just a gigantic ass dude that that plays the position, like a, even a Wendell Carter or a Mo Bamba. I'm not even talking about good players. I'm just talking about guys that are clearly centers that can defend another team's center to some extent, at least provide some resistance. They're trying to guard, you know, seven foot one guys with Scotty Barnes and Siakam, and surely Boucher can't do it. And Coloco can't even stay on the floor. He's a horrific player. Uh, they're in. They I, that was my top. That was one of my topics to discuss. Is who's going to be a Toronto Raptor forty five days from now, and who's not? Because I think this is blow up city. You you think so? The, it, it, they're fifth in the. They're they're sixteen and twenty one. They're not like totally out of it, but I just don't see if they have enough. They're in twelfth, dude. Twelfth, fifth in the Atlantic. I said. I apologize. Well, ESPN still divisions. They're freaking in twelfth. I mean, they're ESPN they're, does divisions. It's not my fault. Yeah, divisions do not matter in any way, shape, or form, unless it comes to some kind of weird tiebreaker. Yeah, Toronto's done. That team can't do it. I mean, Van Vliet has. I I can't even explain the regression that Van Vliet had. People were talking about him about being an All Star last year. This year, something has happened. He can't shoot a basketball to save his life. Go look at Van Vliet's numbers, people. Whenever you get a chance, he has fallen off a cliff for some reason. What happens, you know how in, they say legs feed the wolf, you know when someone's legs aren't there because they're leaving shots short. When, you're, when you have to carry so much of the load, 
eventually catches up. This is the worry with Lucas as well in the next few years. It's my worry. So, it's when you have a ton of usage, your legs just start to go. Yeah, and usage is not even the the analysis because usage can be deceptive because bigs who touch the ball a lot less than Luca can have a very high usage, high usage. rate. It's really just how many times do you push that ball into the into the yeah. hardwood? How many seconds of each game is that ball in your hands where you're absorbing contact? Um, and Luca's got to be at or near the top of that list for sure. How many seconds in a game the ball spins in your hands? I gotta believe Luca's won. I'm trying to think of anybody who could even be remotely close to Luca. Harden, if he played, maybe, but not even because they'll dump it into Embiid. Luca's got no one to dump it into ever, ever. <laughs> you know, Christian Wood, maybe here and there. I'll wrap with this, or if you have any other topics, but a funny, like, or interesting usage stat, not the way usage is quantified today, but just like Will Chamberlain, if you look at most single season leaders of records for minutes per game, the top seven are Wilt, who averaged 48 points minutes a game, 47.75 minutes a game, 47.5, 47.3. Wilt is the leading top seven. Minutes per game, Will Chamberlain. 48 minutes per game. Yep. He is uh, he is unique in a lot of ways, for sure. A lot of ways. Yeah. He's unique in a lot of ways. His career could have gone in a million different directions, but uh, if only he had been drafted by the Celtics, we, we may not be having the same GOAT conversation, you know? Instead of the Sixers? You don't like Philly teams? Well, I'm just saying, if you switched him and Russell, he might have 16 rings, and then we're never going to have the GOAT conversation again. We can never even have it if he's the greatest statistical player and has, you know, 12 yeah, rings. That. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's interesting, right? It's it's like, it's like, if what if Marino had, you know, 11 rings or something? It's, can you imagine? You know what I'm saying? Like the rings and the stats. Very rarely does the, does the player have the rings and the stats. And uh, the extent of me knowing Marino as a football player, he wasn't really my generation, is from Ace Ventura Pet Detective. That's kind of the Marino I know. It's yeah, an amazing movie. I watched both of them. Amazing, the yeah. One of spring, cinematic spring masterpiece. Break. One of the best ever. One of the best ever. He's made. so funny. He's so funny. <laughs> Luca Nation, we wish you an amazing start to 2023. Um, just know, like, we're accessible. If you want to leave a comment, ask a question. If you want to reach out to Cajun Cardboard on Instagram, if you want to reach out to me, don't feel like you have to go through this year alone. Um, I'm curious what's going to happen economically with cards, all that. We have the same question. So feel that there's an open line between us, you guys and the listeners and us. So reach out, leave comments. Uh, we love to engage with you guys, and we wish you all an amazing, amazing start to 2020. Hey, hold on. While we're on camera, where are we going? What shows are we going to? Are we going to the Mint? We're definitely going to the Mint. What about uh, Culture Collision? Are we, all, are we all trying to go to that? Is that a drive for you? No, that's a long way for you, isn't it? I might fly into culture collision. The issue is we booked a trip to Vail with the family, which okay. ends Friday. So I might actually fly Denver to culture. I'm 50-50 on culture collision. Uh, Burbank, which is Super Bowl weekend, I'm going to go to in LA. I've wanted to. I, I, I like Rob Veras. I like that team. I, I like – I like. this is how I judge another business, how they interact with their yeah. customers. And Burbank is always full, so I want to go check it out. I've actually never been to LA, so Burbank yeah. and Mint for me, and then Planet by Year from there. Okay, I am. I know you're going to Culture. 
I'm almost certainly meant, and I'm trying culture collision. It's going to depend on family stuff and kids stuff, but that, that would probably be a drive uh, for me uh, and maybe grab a couple buddies here in town if they're willing to go. That's really what it's going to hinge on. If I can get two or three buddies to go with me to culture collision, I'll probably drive up there with them. Nice. Um, which would be fun. So, you know. So something I was actually going to talk about on our brain dump show today with cage, but like, it's not just Southwest airlines that's having issues. There's, there's a lot of airlines and flights or whatever's going on where there's delays and cancellations. And then to add that to like expensive travel costs, I'm really worried about shows this year. Because if we saw something last year, a ton of shows popped up and there's demand. But if they're going to make travel this difficult, like yesterday mm. I was supposed to fly back to Florida, basic flight. It's one flight out of this like tiny little airport. It was delayed and then it was canceled. And this is becoming more, not the exception, but the rule. I'm really curious what's going to happen with shows if this travel issue persists. I've had good luck. Knock on wood. I've flown to D.C. I've flown to Philly uh, for Atlantic City. That was last year. What's that? That was last year. Yeah, last year. And I've flown to uh, Phoenix. So those were my three flights this past year. And knock on wood, everything was absolutely as smooth as humanly possible. Incredible. And maybe it's just good luck. That is a very small sample size, but I've been very lucky. Yeah, but this this problem started like the Couple end of ago. December, like okay. the Southwest debacle where Weird. they grounded so many flights. Yeah, it, it, I, there's no explanation for it right now, but like I think it started late December. So I'm, I'm you, hoping. You think it's like, sometimes if there's a blizzard and you're a pilot, you should just say screw it, let's take our chances. If 50 50, we're going to survive. That's not what it was. It was. Um, it was like a software glitch that kept all these planes grounded. It was just uh, like the dumbest stuff. It wasn't. Yeah. It was a. It was a weather. They need the Luca Nation content team to get on that software and get all that stuff fixed up. We don't have any software issues. No, I mean we, we, we're putting out content on a consistent basis on Luca Nation Network. I don't see the problem. I don't know why we can do it in Southwest can't. Maybe they need to <laughs> lean in. Hey, do me a favor. Grab that picture over your right shoulder. Bring it to the camera. I wanted to see it. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Yeah. I knew. Yeah. This is an NFT for those of you watching. That is the definition of an NFT. You're off camera now, but that's the definition of an NFT. That whole wall is an NFT wall. That's you guys. That's so, you, you guys still can't figure out this whole NFT thing. I did a good job explaining it to you though, though. Uh, yeah, sure. Don't care. Don't care. Not Give interested. My cardboard. Give me my cards, man. We love you. Right. Nation. That's it. Later.